Episode 193 of Gaming in BS, coming to you Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming in BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Good to have everybody on board. <sighs> Sean, how's it going, man? Long weekend here. It is a long weekend. Which is nice. Yeah. Yes. It's nice. It's a serious topic, obviously. It's Memorial Day. So it, it's... Yes. As I was schooled by you before, and I have actually schooled other people, now's not a day to walk up and be like all jazz hands to your fellow service members, because now's the day to remember those who have uh, paid the ultimate price. So it's that uh, different kind of different kind of holiday, a little more somber. That's right. So let's see here. Do, do, do. Announcements. What do we got? So Gamehole Con, we, uh, event submissions are open. We talked about this before. We talked about the advanced the advanced game lounge, Game Lounge 2.0, whatever now you Fantasy want to call it. Fantasy Flight Games That's right. Game Lounge. That's right. They're going to be doing some crazy stuff. Evercon.org. Our event submissions open June 1st. So that is this coming June 1st, 2018. That is this coming Friday. So when this drops on Wednesday, you'll have um, Wednesday, May 30th, you'll have just a couple days and boom, we'll be in your face at Evercon saying, hey, hey, you running stuff? Do some stuff, man. Get that shit going. Boom. And I'm going to QCC, but that's not till September. Um, anything crazy, man? Anything cool? Yeah, no. I, uh, no. So I posted this on, on G+. It's not really worth a die roll per se, but I'll throw it out here. So my wife happens to be friends with, um, you, you know Marcel. I do know Marcel. Yeah, I'm so, kind of kind of mad he didn't <laughs> throw that stuff at me. I haven't so, talked to him in I haven't talked to him in like ten years. So Barbara and Marcel moved uh, to Holland. Uh, Marcel's originally from Holland, yep. and uh, he was over here. Met Barb, got married, whatever, and they said, "Hey, we're going back over there." Um, Barb has MS, which is unfortunate, but she's um, really good healthcare over there, helping her out. Blah blah blah. So it's cool. They're doing. She's doing pretty well. So she comes back. They're cleaning out the last bits of their storage facility here in the states and barb's like we should just throw this stuff out or we should sell them and marcel has a stack of books and he's like no 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 we got to give this to susan's family susan brett still games he and the kids still game we got to make sure they get this so i've got like what second edition two players handbooks like they're a little on the musty side because they were in a storage locker right they got that like must but there's no mold or anything two of those monster manual uh return of the two Mahors box set mint i don't think he's ever I mean, apart from taking the shrink off and maybe looking through it, but the creme de la creme of it all was the Night Below box set. A little bit of dish on the top just from sitting, but you open it up. I don't think those maps have ever been unfolded. It's in mint condition inside. It is awesome. So I've got to get a, I got to get a thank you card out to Marcel because that was, that was amazing. And um, I said, Susan, what does he want for it? No, he doesn't want anything. just wanted to know that you're going to use it. I'm like, you're goddamn right. We're going to use it. This is awesome. Score. Very big score. I could not believe it. That was really, really nice and very generous. Marcel's always been a super generous guy anyway, so just really nice. Nice little bit of fun on the side. <sighs> Anything cool like that happen to you? Anybody gift you with <laughs> some really cool nope. game book randomly out of nowhere? Nope, uh, not yet. Uh, still fingers crossed. Odd, uh, odd but and odd, slightly bizarre uh, twist to this. There was a 3-0 player's handbook in the, in the bag. I'm like, oh, this one's seen a lot of love. This one's pretty beat up. I don't really need this one. I open it up. It actually is 
my wife's ex-husband's book <laughs> because they used to <laughs> Marcel and her ex had gamed at one point and somehow we ended up with him like ah I know what to do with this <laughs> so that was just an odd little flashback moment uh oh, funny funny anyhow I think that's about enough of that do we have any random encounters this week or are we short man no, we're no not a ton of feedback um, from the last couple episodes, which is just fine and dandy. There's a couple of comments on the Google Plus uh, group, but uh, yeah, not not directly related to any of the most recent episodes. So okay, cool. Yeah, so we could skip it for once in like I don't know, 100 I don't episodes? know if we've ever skipped random encounter. I think we may have the first episode because no one had written to us yet. That's true. Apart from that. But hey, you know what? Not everybody has, uh, not every episode is going to drive people to have social responses or whatever. So that's fine. Totally cool. Yeah, that's totally cool. And sometimes when you have a guest on a show and you're talking to them about different components, if you're not, it's almost like it would be, maybe this is something we could do next time we do have a guest is. If we know about them in plenty of time ahead of time, I can say, hey, so-and-so is coming on the show. Do you have any questions for he or she? And then we could field some of those questions. But kind of pre, um, preemptive strike, if you will, get some of those random encounter questions right out of the gate. What do you think, Sean? How about that? That sounds like a great plan. Did you come up with that on your own, Brett? Yeah, I was thinking about it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. I was due. I was due. I was due for a good idea. All right, well, the hell with this, then. Let's just go right to the main topic, man. Main topic. All right, Brett, what are we talking about this week that we've been mentioning for the last three episodes but never covered? So we're going to talk about Cold Shadows, the RPG. Sean had mentioned this a while back that he picked this up and was really... Did you get it in the Kickstarter on this one? Did you kickstart this sucker? I did. I am excited. So, and I'm here to ask a lot of questions of Sean and make him question his financial purchases. I actually went out and bought a copy of the PDF myself and read through it uh, this weekend. I've got some opinions, so let's um, let's do the first bit real quick here. So we're talking about Cold Shadows. It's uh, written by Alan Barr, Ben Warner, Elizabeth... Oh my God, I'm going to murder that last name. C, Toby Abad, and Drew Wendell. It is Gallant Night Games. Got my PDF copy off a of drive-thru. Follow our little affiliate if you're interested in it after you take a look at this. Um, did you get a hard copy through the Kickstarter, man? So I do have, like, a special edition coming. Ooh. Yes. and But I did order a print-on-demand one from drive-thru. And then I also got... Uh, so I got the Cold Shadows Core Rule Book, and then I also got the Black Book. Oh, and I, okay. And I also got Cities in Shadow. So the Cities in Shadow is a book of locales, and then the Black Book is agencies, agents, and cities. Nice. Yes, and you could see, uh, well, you can't see if you're on the, on the audio version. Uh, they are not, I mean... Cities and Shadows about was it way in at sixty three pages. Well, the core rule book cover to cover is only hundred. I mean, on, on PDF format, including front and back cover, you're looking at one hundred thirty. That's it. It's right. not a very hefty. It's not a hefty book. The black book is thirty five pages, so pretty pretty slim. But that's okay. Good stuff. 
there's something to be said for that too. I mean, uh, Phil Vecchio has talked about it, and you can get. Um, Sean was kind enough on my birthday. I got a, a copy of the Midgard big freaking book. Oh my god, you could kill a man with that thing. Or my astonishing swordsman, sorcerer, hyperborea. Your your big books like that were so dense, and there's so much in it. They can be very daunting. And you look at it, and you think, God. I've heard good things about that game, but man, that's a hefty book. Dude, I want to take the time. We're looking at 130 pages, and we're not even talking, you know, full pages because there's art, there's spacing, there's all sorts of stuff within it. It's, I don't know, maybe 115, 120. I mean, if you really, really crammed it. But uh, it's nicely, I think the layout's pretty good. It, re- it read really well. So I'll tell you what, though, Sean, before we go too crazy into this, have you played Cold Shadows? I have not played it. Neither have I. So. I want to get the, I want to get that out there so people don't be like right. you bastards. You haven't even fucking played it out, can you? So I think we're going to take this similar to how we did the first time Sean and I met. We're talking about different games and stuff. I had never he had played DCC once or had read through the books, and we kind of had peripheral. We hadn't been as deeply involved in it. And I think what we're going to do here is kind of that the first impressions of the system, just what we've read, what we think we may or may not like, and. Uh, does it seem like it's focusing on the stuff that is promised? Because this game has a genre, a type, a style, and all that stuff that it says on the tin, hey, look, we're look, we're going to drive for X experience. So when you read through it, for me, the first time I read through something like this, a game book, and I say, wow, it's promising X, does it deliver on that when I read it? Do I feel immersed? Do I feel like, hey, this is really going to emulate or you know, really help me get the feel of it? So I think we can come at it like that. You good with that, dude? I got so many notes over here, man. I am, I'm you probably do? more prepared for this episode than the last hundred and ninety. That's three. That's good. That's very wow. good. Wow. So, yeah. Sean. So, Sean. What's the um? What What is the core activity of this game? What's this about? So, from the back of the book, mm-hmm. it states, "Cold Shadows is a tabletop RPG game, role playing game." where the rules are focused on telling a dynamic, personal, and compelling story. The game is set in a tout world of espionage, betrayal, and drama inspired by the great spy stories of authors such as John Lacare and Robert Ludlum. So we're talking Cold War. Right. Okay. So we're yes. not this is so right out of the gate this is not Ian Fleming's James Bond, at least not the Sean Connery crazier Bondy, Inspector Gadget crap, right? Yeah, so it doesn't have to be Cold War, but it isn't going to be... Um, it's drama and suspense over thrilling action, is what it says so, in the book. Yeah, more Wilderness of Mirrors style play. Right. Okay, all right. Is it... I guess when, when I read through it, my default, maybe this is just because when they mention like, right, I keep thinking Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I've not read the book, I've only seen the movie... And I loved it. I had a really I watched a movie a few times, and I think about that. I'm like, oh, it's clearly a Cold War. But you're telling me that you don't. When you read this, did you get the impression you could run it modern, 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 or any time in quasi modern history? Yes, I think so. Okay, if yeah. you run it or when you run it, what do you what do you think you're going to do with it? Probably Cold War. Probably, Probably Cold War? 1960, 60s. Okay, Berlin Wall. Checkpoint Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. Gotcha. Yeah, probably European setting. Yeah. All right. Warsaw so, Pact. 
Good stuff. So within this game, are the roles of game master and player, are they the traditional ones where you've got a GM and a host of players, or is this less GM-centric? Is it more player-driven? How? What's your take on it? So there's a couple different ways to play it. I think as we relate to it this evening, it will be the more traditional sense. So there is a like one-on-one version of the game. It's actually a solo version of the game. There's too, a, the yes, also a solo version of the game. But we're going to talk about, I think, we when we're referencing question and answers, that it's going to be about a group of players to include the narrator. So to get to your question, Brett, there's a narrator and then there are the agents. Okay. Yeah. Now, we should probably stipulate before we get into a lot of the details that this is based on the rules by John Wick's Houses of the Blooded and Blood and Honor. Correct. Um, they also you know, used they also was, used some material from uh, Werner Wunderwerk's uh, expansion, uh, World of Dew, which I'm not a fam- not familiar with. See, I read it when I read through it with the components of aspects and compelling. I kept thinking fate. Right, sure, and I don't know. I haven't pl- I haven't played John's Houses of the Blooded, so I don't know if I have Houses of the Blooded. I was going to read that today in prep for this, and I just didn't get to it. So, hmm, I don't know if that's it. That may well be in there. I don't know. So, so those I'll have that to, I'll maybe have to check that out. So those that may listen to this, why is this thing not opening? My I water bottle. Oh, Get your water gonna, bottle open. It's going to be a problem. Um, so those that have probably played John Wick's Houses of the Blooded are probably have a really good cross reference. For those that haven't, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. I've got all the rules in front of me to talk about intelligently to Brett. <laughs> yeah. All so, right. As you were saying, Brett. So as we were saying, so <clears throat> that's the, the core. So how does that core mechanic function? Are we just, you know, is it your standard dice or are we looking at a single type of die? Is it a die pool? What are, you, what, what are we looking at here? I think my water bottle broke. I'm pissed off now. Oh, you look kind of angry. Son of a bitch. Anyway. Mechanic. Dice. Mechanic. Do we use them? We use dice. They're all D6. D6. All of them that would indicate a die pool, correct? It, correct. You create a die pool. It's based on a few different things. Um, and that you always have a target number. So it's not it's not die pool and so many successes. It's die pool target number. And the target number is always? 10. Correct. So I'll say that again. Ten. Yes. Always ten. ten. The nice thing about that, when I read through it, I, I read that I'm like, well, that's pretty fucking cool because then, obviously, if I can garner up six, eight dice, adding them together to get ten, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get me a ten. Well, that may be true, Brett, but you probably don't want to roll all your dice. Oh, probably not. But the point is, if I really had to hit that target, you know, knowing that the target's always 10, and using sixes, three or more dice is going to be pretty damn handy to have. So the the so there was an actual play, and I'll pimp that during die roll, but one thing that I think people may pick this up and make a mistake about is that the die roll... So when you... The mechanic is a die pool, and when you... When you're specifically, um, when you're about to roll dice, 
you are overcoming a risk. Okay, so that's kind of the that's the cue that you are going to be rolling dice. So a risk is defined in the game as a meaningful action taken by a character whose outcome may influence the plot and or other characters. So if there is a risk, then narrative rights are at stake. So if the player rolls well, then the player gets narrative. Otherwise, the narrator gets gets to do it. What I think some people may have to keep in mind is that it is not a success or fail. Yeah, because it doesn't say that if the, if I if I'm the narrator and you roll the dice because all the dice are player facing, if I remember correctly, you yes. roll the dice and if you get a six, I get to narrate success or failure, success or failure. If you were to get a ten or higher, you get to narrate success or failure. If I remember the reading, you can you could choose something bad potentially if you wish to fail. Yeah, you yep, you can choose how shit rolls. How how it goes. So most of the times, if you're the player and you're you're up against a risk, um, then you are rolling your die pool and trying to get ten. And but when you narrate, you probably will will narrate in the positive. You will successfully do what is the risk is involved. It'll be a positive outcome for the players, but it doesn't have to be. It's that's what is when you, so when the success comes around, the success or failure of the role determines privilege. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you Who have gets... the privilege of narrating, um, and it's not about success or failure, but who gets to narrate it. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, <clears throat> let me take a look at my note here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, have you played games like that before, with that type of approach for narration? Um. I'm trying to think who gets narrated. I know I have, and I just cannot think what game it would have been for narrative control. I think the closest thing I have come to is Fate Accelerated um, in, with Dresden when I was playing with uh, um, Tom Flanagan, Chris, Emily, and Kevin, where we were gaming. But other than that, I don't think – I don't mind it. I mean, I read that. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I, it doesn't strike me as being – like a crazy idea or anything like that. So, and I know full well that other systems do this type of thing. So that seems pretty cool. So what happens is when you build your pool, it is, there's a few factors that come into play. We haven't gotten into character generation or agency generation, but there are elements that will say, if this applies to this situation, you get so many dice. If you have a virtue, you get so many dice. If you get so many aspects, you get so many dice. So one may say, well, if I get five or six or seven dice, I mean, it's virtually impossible not to get a 10 outcome. Correct. So the way and the real strength of the game, I guess, for lack of better words, is that you will want to uh, consider wagers is what they're called. And what that means is that you, instead of rolling, say, your die pool is made up of Seven dice, okay? So after it's all done and said and considered, you had seven D6s to roll and get a 10 success rate on when you add it, add it all up. Okay. But what you do is you, you choose to wager a couple of those dice. So you set two of those dice aside and you wage, say, two of them. So now your die pool goes from seven to five. Because five is still a pretty good shot. I mean... You got to roll a lot of ones not to get a 10 on, on five dice. 
Fair, yeah. So you get two that are set aside, and those are wagers. Um, and wagers allow you to uh, do a few more things, which includes um, it can lead to more trust points. Um, the victor decides who spends their first wager. Um, so wagers, if if you have multiple people doing a risk, then the amount of wagers I think is um, determined on like who had the highest roll and um, the highest amount of wagers. And then you start there and you can go around clockwise as people spend their wagers. Oh, so and, if I've got three in and you've got two and the narrator's got four, there's there's a hierarchy based on wagers as to different bits and pieces correct. that can happen. Okay. And a, and a wager is used to basically, it's not to say, no, this does not happen or negate anything. It is to be used as a yes and or a yes but. Okay. Right. So the the person that overcomes the risk, you know, that you know, the risk is what it is. You roll, you get a ten, eleven, twelve result, and then based on how many wagers, um, so then whoever has privilege narrates the scene and then the wagers go around until they're depleted. And I think you can t- you can take a pass. So if you come it comes to you and you're like, Okay, your turn, Brett, uh, you had a wager you say, well, I'm I'm not, I'm going to skip mine. You can skip yours, and then it goes to the next person. So it may be that your character, you know, maybe you don't have anything to contribute. You're waiting to see how things pan out. But that's how wagers. One one thing that wagers helps do in the game. So that's where you start doing more things. So Brett may say, well, okay, for this, uh, this is what happens. And, and then the next person or Brett says, I'm going to use one of my wagers and say, yes, and, or yes, but. Yeah, so, so really, you, yeah, go ahead, Brett. No, I was going to say, if you succeed in a wager, I'm reading right here off of page 28, uh, you get bonus effect. Bonus effect usually uh, leads to more trust points, but it can also be used to take narrative control of a scene and provide additional details. Yes. yes, this means the players tell the narrator what's happening in the scene. Wagers give everyone the opportunity to be the narrator, to be in charge, to add to the collective narrative. Yes. Cool. Okay. Yep. So just because one person succeeded and has privilege and can set the scene in the narration doesn't mean that stops there. All right? The wagers come into play after that, and it builds upon the scene. It could build upon the drama. Because what may happen is... You could start getting into trust issues and betrayal. So yeah. maybe when you're talking spy games, uh, trust is a big deal, but there's also betrayal. There's double agents. There's moles. Um, there's other things that are going on. So it really depends on the dynamic of the group that you have and the agents that they're playing and really what they want to do with the story. So this game would be – I don't even know why I've been putting this off because if you play it by the rules – um, and I think like the actual play where the guys were more, okay, I roll, I succeeded. Okay. Right. So I wanted to do this. I rolled a 10. Therefore I succeed. It's not a succeed. It's what happens. Yeah. To- Cause I mean, I mean, I love the, the phrase that they have a privilege when you're, um, rolling dice and cold shadows is not about success or failure. It's about who gets to say what happens. That's right. I, I, it's a, it's a small little, you know, two sentence paragraph there, but it, that's powerful. That's the, that's the whole thing of it right there. Right. And, Therefore, prep is like you, you just create 
a bit of a scenario and it has to be like maybe this long because the rest is all going to be done through narration and privilege and then there's betrayal and it in them in a more what i say multiplayer game yeah multiplayer game with more than just one-on-one and a narrator um it is to be played over time because you could lose characters over time and it's i mean things like trust pools get transferred over to next sessions and things of that nature so you can run it as a one shot of course but there is more to it as it goes over time one thing i think is important with wagers they have the uh, the golden rules i put a little bookmark in here so i remember this mm-hmm. you cannot use a wager to contradict a previously established element of the scene correct you cannot use a wager to say no I know, Sean, you said this, but I just want to call it out again. Mm-hmm. You can only use wagers to say yes and or yes but. You cannot simply negate another person's wager. Um, <clears throat> I think that's important because when I first read it, I'm like, well, then I could just stomp all everybody. That's kind of like the you know the dickhead in the you know group story uh, um, uh, you know kind of participation thing. You're like, oh, wait a minute, no, no, they have a rule that says no, you can't do that. It's not built for that type of thing. I think you're right from a from a prep perspective. You can have a very, very skeletal approach to what is probably going to happen tonight, and then you and your players need to come with your creative juices rolling because it's gonna, you're going to have to use it, right? To have right. a really good game session, you're going to need everyone at the table to be ready to be active. It's going to be really difficult to sit back and say, I roll, I hit, I do four damage. Right. As, oh. That's not going to cut it. That's this, this game, as written, does not play like that. So the if you if you fail the roll and you do not get a ten or above, uh, you don't get anything. You don't get any wagers and you don't get privilege. Okay, so I think I don't remember if the narrator gets to do that or if it's just kind of stops. I think it keeps going, but I can already call. So right. so building the pool, you get. Um, you can only use one virtue, so you use one virtue, which is part of your character generation. Well, tell you what, let's step back and talk character okay. gen because I think All we right. hit that the, the core mechanic piece is basically you're going to pull up your six siders, yep, and then you're going to roll X number to try to beat a ten um, for privilege, and or if you've got a bunch of extras, you can do the wagering thing, right? So one of the things that I liked about what I read here is that they do. You start off; it's very it's group build, which reminds me of. Um, the original Dresden rules I used to have back in the day when that first came out. Um, you discuss who the director is for the agency, what's the virtue of the agency, what assets it has, reputation, and a secret about the agency. If I'm, so, if I'm parsing through it, so there's yeah, so it, you're you start, building all this. You're building all this yes. together as a team, which I think is really cool. Go so ahead. you're building an agency is mm-hmm. the first step, kind of in the book. Now you could potentially get a supplement like i mentioned earlier and they do have sample agencies in here so you could literally say hey we're all going to work for the cia and the cia is going to have the traits that we'll touch on just in a second otherwise you can build your own agency Mm -hmm. and that so you do that and then as a member of that agency you get a couple things from it that's why it's important to establish the agency first then start on the character build the other thing that's important, I think, when you talk about it, they <coughs> excuse me, they, they say this here is historical accuracy. Historical accuracy is secondary to theme and fun. If you know real historical figures and behavior, that's wonderful. Can add to immersion. However, never let real history get in the way of a great story and experience for all the players. 
So I, I think that's that's important because when I first when I think about Cold War, one of the things I think about for this is to really get into it. Do I need? Am I going to have to? <laughs> am I going to have to bone up on everything that happened? You know, recall everything that happened in the eighties or seventies or whatever. Do I have to really dig through all that? No, no, you don't. It's not a historical treatise on any particular piece. You don't have to go that crazy with it. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think it it can help if you've got a narrator that knows or even just players that really get get down on Cold War and espionage uh the the topic of it. Like no Oh yeah, I mean you got people pads, that totally it's, right. Yep. One time pads and and you know drops and uh you know, it's not the internet era. So things covers, things like that. So anyways. So when you make the agency, you basically you, you make it you figure out who the director is, man woman who's who's the director of it. Uh the virtue, which is the component that your agency attempts to train in each agent. Right? So they've got examples of it being uh let's see here Well the director's personality. Yeah director's got a personality ambitious, okay. um clever, cruel, cunning, dangerous, paranoid and different, you know, pluses and minuses to that. Your virtues are charisma, resolve, perception, violence, athleticism, intellect, which I think is pretty slick. So it's just, it, they're broad brush pieces, but it's right. really neat. But so the so the personality of the director is really relates to how the agents are going to conduct business. So you're kind of inheriting as, as a guy the, the as a guy who in his boss. day job. As right. a guy in a day job who runs a, a fairly large IT team, yeah, if you if you come in and you don't and you don't do it right, yeah, you can watch a whole team just go crazy around you. So obviously, if you if your director is cunning, obviously then that is what the team is is how they conduct business. Like that's kind of what they're known for because it's from the top down, right? Culture is top down, and then. Um, you have of those, of each one of those, ambitious, clever, cruel, cunning, dangerous, and paranoid, then you have an advantage of to each one and a disadvantage to each one, mm-hmm. right? So if you pick clever, for example, then all equipment provided for agents is considered good quality. That's why some of this helps long-term, right? It's not one shot because some of these things are going to come into play down as the campaign progresses. So that's advantage for clever, the disadvantage for clever is all agents gain the aspect unorthodox, which can be used against them. So that's no, I like it. It's cool. I mean, it's it's the plus and the minus, right? <clears throat> Everything's got it. That's right. And I like the the virtues component where it talks about every agency focuses on training one of these six virtues. Um, your agency selects the one to qualify, uh, which it qualifies and wants to instill and engender in its agents. So this is charisma, resolve, perception, violence, athleticism, intellect. And um, charisma, communicate, talk, resolves that ability for your agent to say no to temptation, seduction, fear, pain, torture, perception, you know, hey, pay attention, violence, ability to wield weapons, inflict harm and damage, athleticism, lifting, running, climbing, all that stuff, intellect, truth of the matter. Um, it's all about knowledge over physical power and so forth. So it, I like it because every agency that you build has a focus, right? This every, is I'm part of this. Yeah. 
Yeah, it has this virtuous focus. This is our virtue. This is what we focus on. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. This goes to about the agents that the agency recruits. Correct. Yeah, hey, this right. is what we do. We recruit people with great resolve. We recruit people with high intellect, perception, violence potential, or whatever, because that's what, that's what it is that we do. Correct. Yep. I like it. So then the step three of the agency piece is agency assets, uh, which represents wealth and essential individuals available on your home turf during downtime and between missions. So again, going back to the longer term campaign, how agency assets come into play. There's some cool stuff in there when it's not just, you know, the combat structures, combat instructors, good God, I can't talk, military liaisons, but it's got like non-governmental contacts, quartermaster, school, shrink, because hey, <laughs> it's, it's fucking stressful out there, kids, uh, slush fund, um, all, all that archives, just some cool stuff. This, these lists aren't really long. I mean, it's no. less than a page, but each of these pieces feels to me, and I don't know much about as much about the spy genre as you do, Sean, but it feels to me like they've encapsulated quite a bit in, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, like like a dozen things. Yeah. They've encapsulated a lot of different really core espionage components here, so which is really neat. Yeah. So every player starts with one rank of con ops. So that's kind of like operations 101. Then as things go on, you can I think you can pick up one additional assets. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the next one is step four, which is aspects. So each agency has four of them. And then this defines their approach to like con ops and missions. So you have an invoke and a compel to each aspect. Um, and some of the examples, like a couple of them are like flip, flip the enemy and hold my beer. <laughs> Center of attention. Grim as death. Honeypot. Yeah, good stuff. So hold my beer invoke would be your agency is well known for its excessive agents. Right, gain three dice on any risk when drunk. So <laughs> <And> when <laughs> when you create your, awesome. when you create your die pool and you're a member of this agency, and you want to invoke hold my beer, you're gonna get three additional dice to your die pool. This is the spy version of drunken master of kung fu. That's right. And then the compel side is a drunken man will say anything, do anything. Be careful. Drunkenness is not always forgiven, and if you are caught leaking secrets. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that's right. So that's, that's how, again, as your agency falls down to your agent. The other thing I like in it, <laughs> excuse me, they're not all, I mean, grim as death. No humor, no compassion, nothing but action results. You gain three bonus dice on this invoke to resist any attempt to change your mind once you've made it up. That sounds pretty cool. Ah, tough, whatever. The compel, you have no sense of beauty. You cannot appreciate poetry or painting or theater or any of the arts. It feels squishy to me, like, huh, I don't get that. But then you think about this game. This is not a, this doesn't have hardcore, you know, shooting in the face mechanics. It's spies. And there's going to be that situation where if you have to, if you do pull a James Bond and you've got to go to a fancy dinner party, you've got to go to this um, embassy and do a thing, you don't fit 
right? You are grim as fucking death, man. You have no sense of beauty. You don't appreciate stuff. You have this stiffness about you. So I read that, and I'm like, okay, this is going to play out in social situations. This person is cold, right? No humor, no joking, none of that stuff. That's that's just, it's, again, a lot, I think, a lot packed in just a, a little bit there. So that's pretty cool. Then they've got other cool ones, reckless behavior, uh, red dot diplomacy, words are bulletproof. <clears throat> Some really cool stuff in there. That's really neat. So what do we got? Oh, step five, reputation. Right. This is pretty cool, too. Every agency has a reputation, a thing they're known for being the best at. What's the thing for your agency? What do they excel at? So this one doesn't have a list, Sean. Does the does the sidebook have in the examples? I'm assuming it has reputation stashed in there for them all. Uh, he says as he quickly flips through the book. Yeah. So say for example, the Russian Federation, uh, Federal Security Service, or FSB. So their reputation is our agency's authority comes directly from the president. Who are you again? Uh, another example would be, uh, let's see, Brett, Poland. Okay. Reputation, Republic of Poland. So they have the Foreign Intelligence Agency. Um, their reputation, what's yours is ours. Our agency has eyes and ears everywhere. We will uncover your secrets. That's neat. <laughs> yeah. So those are some of the ones that they came up for the in the uh, the Black Book but. Well, and as, an, as a narrator, if you don't have the black book and you were to go through <coughs> and excuse me and say, well, you know, what's the NSB, NFB, uh, whatever you said there, I can't remember the acronym. But if you go through these different places, what's the what's the reputation of it? It says a lot because that's just a thing. Um, it, it's this great thing to hang a story idea or a hook on or a, a piece to drag um, to build your NPCs off of as well. Hey, this person works for the CIA. They have a reputation of what? And then you just kind of build off of that reputation. That's pretty cool. What is the last step there, Sean? Secrets. Mm. So each player gets to say one true thing about your agency. That's pretty cool. Right? You cannot contradict an already established truth, but you can modify it. You can say whatever you like. It's true. <laughs> Remember to keep a focus on the style and immersion of the game. For example, you could create secrets around the director, failed operations, or other events in the division and agency's past. Okay, that's pretty cool. I love the I love the little piece in there, don't contradict shit, right? Basically, very politely saying, don't be a dickhead gamer. You know, if somebody else says something, you can modify it slightly. And I can see the conversation at the table where if we do this, Sean, we'll be like, hey, I say this. Well, hey, how about we do... And then I can see kind of a writer's table-y modifying around as we go, you know. I like it. It's pretty. seems pretty cool. So the CIA secrets that they have in the book is, because they are well-educated, our agents question orders when given reason to. There is a protocol for dealing with this situation when it gets out of hand. It isn't a nice protocol. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, constantly questioning orders, huh? Step over here, would you? And that coincides with the reputation, even though it doesn't have to. The reputation of the CIA is we have the world's best training, which leads to the world's best agents. Mm-hmm. So. I like it. Yeah. So, so that's I mean, that's so it. After, yeah. After you're done with that, the agency is done and built. 
Then you go into the agent. You pick your name, a role, the virtues, aspects of the agent, trust and cover, and an advantage. Name simple. The role, I think they've got a stock, what I would well, consider a stock list, which well, is kind of cool. I'd back up on the name, Brett. Oh, okay. What so do you think? think? The name doesn't have to be a birth name, for one. Oh, okay. And it has to be a personal meaning your character associates with the name. And if if during a risk, if the risk relates to the meaning of your name, you get an additional two dice to the risk pool. Hmm. If you pick a code name um, and the code name re- is related to that, you get a plus one die to risk pools. So... There oh, was, okay. Yeah, you're right. I glossed that, man. Yeah, you're right. So, so if you pick a name, that's cool. But if it has a certain meaning, maybe it's like your code name's the hammer because every time there's a, a yeah, something that has to be resolved, you bring down the big hammer, you get extra dice. Maybe it's something action, like action-oriented. You know, I should bring the be, hammer. You could potentially – I've not played, but you could do, well, you know, I – Father was a carpenter. I'm named after my dad, and there's connections in there. And when things are tied to that, you remember. Yeah, okay. Right. Wow. All right. Wow. I totally fucking glossed over that. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's, yeah. The name is just. There's a bit in there. It's just not a name in this game. It actually can relate to getting dice for your dice pool. Well, same with the roll then, right? The roll gives you three bonus dice for any risk involving your job. Yep. If you're a security chief, you know, there, um, roll also grants you unique special ability. And they have uh, special benefits during the game. And there's 12 Which, of them. Yeah. Everything from accountant, commander, analyst, counterintelligence, deputy director, freelancer, handler, hitter, public relations, security chief. Good stuff. Now, I should say, because some folks in some games are always worried about a balanced party, in this game you can have multiple agents with the same role. So if you all want to play hitters or masterminds or doctors, whatever, or two people want to play the same thing, it's okay. You can do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think especially depending on the type of agency you build, right? If you build the agency and a director and you have access to stuff, it doesn't matter that if you think of a one-on-one like uh, like Smiley in uh, – Tinker Taylor, he's got a host of people he knows and trusts and can pull in. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I did not think about that, but you're you're dead right. Yeah, you don't have to spread it. I don't need a handler, hitter, a hitter, and a mastermind and a public relations person to make this game work. Okay, very cool. Yep. So like Brett mentioned, you get plus three dice to any risk involving your job. So it's obviously, if it aligns with what you do, you're going to get three extra dice. Kind of makes sense, right? This is my thing. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm going to do first aid on this person. Okay, yeah, you're going to get three dice because it's your job. There may be times when you're over, trying to overcome and build a risk pool that has nothing to do with your job. Doesn't mean you can't build a pool. You're just not going to get those three extra dice for your role, your your R-O-L-E role. Got it. Right. You also get a special ability with each role, and then you also get the single-use in-game benefit. So you get one kind of boon that's special to your role. Cool. I'm looking at the virtues here, the next piece. Uh, let's see here. Ah, yes. Uh, you <clears throat> There are six virtues, but unfortunately, you are mortal and flawed, and you only get five. <laughs> the sixth virtue is your weakness. You'll never have ranks in that virtue, which is kind of neat. It's building in building in a little character for your character right out of the gate. 
then it does you get one virtue at four, two virtues at three, two virtues at two, and one's the weakness, right? A W next to it, so you know it's weak. I would write it in bold. A bold big bold W. That's right. That way you know it's weak. Nice. Yeah, and you can increase your agent so if you have a weakness or if you have a virtue and it's the same virtue that you got from your agency, you can bump up the virtue a point. Okay. And then uh unless it's your weakness. <laughs> Cuz you could have a weakness that is that <laughs> like comes from your agency. <laughs> and they, they actually say in the book, like, hey, way to role play, buddy. You know, way to way to take on a role play situation. Yeah, tough luck, but way to commit to the, to the role playing. Good That's luck right. for you. Yep. Then you choose uh, three of the four aspects of your agency um, that's chosen to define agents, and each player simply writes down three of them that they want. And then uh, you go into background and touchstone. So, hmm. This is where your agent comes from before becoming an agent. And there's advantage and so forth listed underneath it. So I think these are, I don't know if you want to go through all of those pieces there, but you got military, politics, civilian, espionage. There's some pretty cool stuff in there. Again, I think they did a very good job of blocking things out simply, but with enough detail to really sink your teeth into. Yeah, there's five of them. And then each has five advantages. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. right. Then we got trust and cover. Right. You give me some rank, two ranks in trust, two trust points for the old trust pool, and then you get uh, one rank in cover. And then you write on name and occupation next to the cover, but we'll use that cover to accomplish it. When you use that cover to accomplish a risk, you add a number of dice equal to your cover rank to that risk. So that's pretty the cool. Rank, like the rank. Yeah. That's another thing people might get tripped up on is if you're a rank, because you can now your cover – you can actually increase ranks in your cover. Yeah, so if your cover is, you know, auto mechanic, rank three, you're in there, you've got more dice as opposed to rank two or rank one, or less than a rank five, per se. Very cool. Yeah, and the, the trust and cover piece, the, like the, the trust piece is each agent has two ranks in trust, so two for the trust pool, and then you designate a player to have your trust. And then what happens is you kind of keep that, and then as your actions either help them, so if you put your, if you kind of put their needs ahead of yours, it builds trust between you two, but you can also betray the agents. And you have three trust boxes. So if you betray, so if Brett's the other character, I write Brett has my trust, right? I designate his player character as my, my sidekick. But Brett does something to betray me, I mark a box. And then Brett does it again, I mark another box. Until all three boxes are full, then Brett goes on the black my blacklist. And what can happen is then we're kind of we don't obviously I don't trust him. Does shit to what? screw come me on, over. Come on, man. Come on. But, but Just what at can, one time. But what can happen is it can come back where that trust can be rebuilt, and then he can actually, his character can actually be on the list and become uh, a, a, a trust agent down the road. But you have to get even with him. 
That's that's how it works. You <laughs> yeah, set, exactly. You set. It's getting even. It's once we get even, we can reset. That's yes. about, that's how that goes. Yeah. So another piece <clears throat> coming after that, you've got advantages. Each agent gets one advantage of their choice from the list. It's free. That uh, they can justify, however. And um, do, do you see, we've got cold blooded killer, fast healer, favorite weapon, irreproachable, like a local, lucky, measure twice, cut once. Oath, outsider, perceptive, up close and personal. Some cool stuff. Again, I think they did. I mean, I've said this before, and I'll say it at least one more time. There's a lot of cool tropes, if you will, packed into each one of these pieces, at least as I read it. Enough for me to sink my teeth into as, our, as a player. I think it would be pretty cool. So there, there is the player character. So when you get the virtues and you get the... Uh, aspects and you get your role, the role of your actual character that starts building those risk pools. So if you're going to take a risk, then you start building the pools based off of that. Right. So some of it is derived from agency and some are, you know, directly um, some things that you got to keep in mind is like, there's only certain times you can, I mean, there's only like, you can only spend, one virtue. You can only use one virtue during a risk. So some people may think, oh, I got this and I got that and I can aim this and now I got 20 dice. So there's only a certain amount of each piece that you can use. Like aspect, you can only invoke one aspect per risk. Right? You can't invoke three or four. So one of the things I like to do when I read through a game, I go through character creation as I go to the example character sheet that they've always got buried somewhere in the back or sometimes up front, depending how they're filling it out. Um, this is simple. It's one page. It's less than a page. It's really simple. And I look at that and I compare the character sheet to what I just read about character creation. I'm like, Oh, done. Everything on here is what I need. There's nothing. I don't feel like if I write down all the right stuff here, I may have to do a quick, you know, flashback to, you know, page 23 so I can verify what, what something specifically means. But generally speaking, the, the text in here, (coughs) excuse me, is very concise. You know, if you have an advantage of fast healer, you heal faster than other agents. At the end of the day, you always heal one injury rank, regardless of your current condition. That's really easy to remember. It's not like a huge diatribe or anything. It, they're small, quick paragraphs of how this functions. So it would be very easy to put a little cliff notes thing in your character sheet. So <clears throat> that's a personal thing I like, is I want as much as I can have. I want the character sheet to have as much information as possible on it that I can interpret it like that and just fucking play. I don't want to have to keep referencing back. If it, I mean, for the game like this, I mean, certain systems, if you have spells and things you might have to look up and blah, 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 I get that. But a game like this, I look at that character sheet and I'm like, I want it to be quick because I feel we're going to be doing a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, getting privilege or we're going to be talking about yes and or yes buts and we're going to be talking and working back and forth. I don't want to have to say, oh, hang on, I think I have something and flip, 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 flip. Yeah, it's only 130 pages. But I want to be able to have it on my character sheet to say, this is my aspect, this is my weakness, this is a virtue, and just roll with it. So I think this is I think it's pretty it's pretty concise, but there's a lot packed into it, I believe, anyway, from what I'm seeing. Again, haven't played it, but it feels like there's plenty of plenty of meat there. Where yeah. do you want to go next, man? Well, there's the trust pool, mm-hmm. which is a component of the game as well. Which is so that goes into Going back to, okay, we have a risk. I'm going to have wagers. Wagers allow you to put some more cherries on the top as far as narrative goes. 
but it can also use um, you can use wagers to build the trust pool back. Um, so trust pool can also be used to add to your risk pool. So you, risk. So you're gonna build your risk. You're gonna take something out of your trust pool. So before you take a risk, you can draw one trust point from the trust pool because each agent gets two at the start of the game. So if you spend it, it's gone for the remainder of the adventure. And then what happens is if you choose to use a trust point, you can add four dice to your risk. And then add, you could also use it to add details to the story. So one or the other. Okay, so that's what, where you use trust. And that's how trust starts, the trust pool starts to diminish. Um, so when you lose trust... When agent takes an action that is a betrayal, so, you know, upends a plan or ruins the operation, uh, the narrator takes three trust points from the pool when that happens. So if Brett screws me over or screws over the operation, the narrator can take three trust points from the pool. And then trust does carry over. So at the end of the adventure, whatever trust is left, that gets carried over. To earn them, you take a risk that directly furthers the agency's interest. So you also align with the agency. Hey, I'm doing it for the CIA. I'm a corporate player, right? And not your own interest. And then you take a risk that upholds the agency's agenda, plans or goals. That's another way. And then if you take a risk that puts your agent in danger while fulfilling your bond of trust. That goes back to the previous example where I'm going to take a risk that puts my guy in danger because I'm going to help Brett's character, right? I'm going to take a bullet, then then I get trust. That's because I did that. Well, it makes sense. I like it. I think it's pretty cool. It's a it's a neat way to. It reminds me similar to Sanity and Sanity and Call of Cthulhu, right? Trust is very important. It's a crucial piece of being of being that spy, and you want to watch it flux up and down as different things happen throughout the game. So I think it's pretty handy with the bonus dice adding and so forth. It's good. It's really cool. They also do, um, I'm talking about dice and such. The other piece, I guess not dice and such, but if you step outside of that for a second, the invokes and compels, very similar to the fate components from my uh, cursory piece with fate, but they also have tags, temporary aspects. So like if a room is on fire, it has the on fire tag. Uh, injuries are tags often for if a character has a rank one injury or rank two injury and rank three, you could tag all three injuries um, and so on. So there's little, little bits in there and how that, <clears throat> excuse me, how that functions and so on. So again, these, the aspects piece, it's, you know, a page and a half. It's really, really quick. These rules are not difficult to read through They're They, <laughs> from a writing perspective, I read these, I'm like, Oh, I grok that. Oh yeah, I get that. Oh yeah, I get that. I very rarely did I have to go back and reread something because I'm like, what does that mean? Works. It, it's it's pretty uh, pretty sweet. They do have a big chunk on not big. They've got um, probably a page and a half, two pages on the X card. Page pages uh, that thirty four to thirty four thirty five section there about the X card, how to use it, what it what it is, and so forth. I have not seen, and I'm positive this is out there somewhere else, but a game system that I've bought or that I've read through that actually talks about the X card specifically as such, which I thought was kind of cool. 
Um, trust, cover, touchstones. Man, there's. So there's. Um, what what did you what did you think of the combat section, Sean? Action and violence. What did you think about that? Did yeah. it have the did it have the oomph you wanted to it? I think it's really. I don't know. I like it. There isn't any initiative. Um. There's something cool about that, man. I've run you, a lot of different games without without official initiative, and they work well. So it, combat is run like this. There's two. Uh, strike and mass murder. That's it. <laughs> two That's the two, two things options. near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> two options. And strike is an immediate action. Uh, it's essentially an agent pulling out, you know, a pistol and and that's it. Like, there's no formal, polite action, like they said in a Western showdown. Um, that's how it starts. So basically, you say strike, and you point at another player, no initiative rolls, you call it out, and it happens. Um, they gain two bonus dice. So again, it's a risk. So they get two bonus dice. Um, there is a slight advantage to surprise. Not much, but enough for two bonus dice. So that's what it, the two dice represents. Um, if both agents call out strike at the same time, which would be interesting, neither gains bonus dice. And then there is no surprise, therefore no advantage. So there's a piece in there that the example they have is as Ben and I find out our characters are in heated debate, Ben's character says something to mine that I can't, that my character doesn't quite like, so he decides to gun Ben's character down. I declare strike, the violence begins. This game, because of the... The spy-on-spy spy action, the wilderness of mirror, the betrayal. The player-versus-player player possibilities are strong. When, At least in my opinion, when you, when you read a game like this, and one of, the prime exa- one of the examples they have of, hey, here's how you shoot a dude in the face, is this is when I fought another character, right? It's character-on-character character action. So it's kind of, it's there. And I think that's a piece that you don't necessarily have to have, right? If everybody's lockstep and... We're a we're a great spy team, and we we never argue back and forth. But it's all part of the trust components of it that that Sean was going through earlier. So I think inter party conflict with the potential for violence is high, or at least not necessarily high, but could be high. I guess that's how I read it anyway. So once it's initiated, then other agents can get in on it. But the first two are kind of in in the midst of it. Is the um. First attack and defense are between the attacker and the defender and no one else. But after that, um, then it becomes more opposed risk checks. And what you do is you, you, you do your pool, but you hide your wagers. So then when you roll, it's whoever rolls the highest with the most amount of wagers. And again, remember, risk... When you're overcoming a risk, you're getting privilege, which allows you to narrate what happens. So you could potentially kill yourself if you wanted to make it, like, dramatic. Ben gets privilege. So he can narrate the outcome of the strike. He could say, I win the strike. He could say, he wins the fight. He could say, we both strike each other at the same time. It's up to him to determine how the fight goes. Yeah. That's a lot of of power that the players have back and forth. And I could see where... Excuse me, potentially the X card component, or even potentially if you're not used to character on character violence quite like that. Because if Sean gets um, privilege, I'm dead if Sean wishes me dead. Well, 
There's there. So if you play the silence pistol rule, mm-hmm. that which is optional, if I say strike, and you've been struck by a pistol, you die. A silence yeah. pistol, you die. But when it's um, when it's outcomes, there are injuries. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess injuries I was obviously. I was being a little, yeah, a little hyperbole. But the point is that the potential is there that you're dead. Right. You know, and that another character, another player across the table from you is dictating your death, potentially. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And that may not be for everybody. So there's ranks of injury, right? So you take one rank of injury. Um, you may use wagers to increase the rank of the injury. That's another yeah, you can, and you can use trust to save your ass. That's right. You can, if you're about to be killed, you can pull one trust from the trust pool to reduce your health to a rank five injury. So that's an opportunity when Sean, that tricky bastard, shoots me in the back. I can take a little bit of trust, and I can spend that, and I can come back and get him again another day. So mass murder is is when um, after a strike occurs, if other agents want to be involved in the violence. And the narrator invokes the mass murder rules. And this is not just player versus player. This is all combat, right? Right. So you gather the dice. All players who want to be involved gather the dice if they were preparing for a strike. So it's violence plus aspect plus roll, if appropriate, plus any other bonuses. Then all players announce how many dice they have. And then if mass murder directly follows a strike, the winner of the strike gains two bonus dice for the mass murder. If an agent has the quick advantage, um, they may use it during this step. You declare strikes on the count of three. <laughs> Each player points at who they want to strike. If a player wants to strike an NPC, then they point at the narrator. That reminds me of a of a card game. Uh, was it Guns and Money? Where you've got you've Guns got Guns and Money or Bang? I don't even know. No, it's Guns and Money. Where okay. you've got foam. You have yes. foam pistols. Right. One, two, three, and you point them at each other. Yes. <laughs> Could I've see, never played, but I've seen it played. I could see playing this game with foam pistols. I oh, could yeah. see playing this game with foam pistols. Well, it's good that you picked foam pistols, Brett. Well, I, you know, things could get heated, and I don't want people to actually get hurt. Right, that's true. Um, and then on the the third step, you every on, during the strike, everyone sets aside wagers secretly and rolls. The player who rolls highest has initiative and privilege. He may declare his strikes first. Uh, no player loses any wagers for not gaining privilege in mass murder. Okay, so just because you didn't overcome the risk and win doesn't mean you lose your wagers like in many other risks. So all players keep all wagers made. In the event of a tie, strikes occur simultaneously. Striking agent rolls a contested violence risk against his target. The winner gets privilege. So during mass murder, an agent may strike one opponent, opponent. Then the player who rolled the next highest number may declare a strike. This continues until all agents involved have made a strike. Good stuff. Very good. And I think we can probably go through the rest of this a little quicker, possibly here. So the next piece is like, you know, Chapter 6, they talk about the espionage and intrigue, how gear and gadgets... Um, shrinks in psychology. <laughs> Spies are a goddamn mess. It's one of my favorite quotes from this book. <laughs> um, operational advantages. We talk about agents and allies and so forth. You get into... The thing I think is cool, and this is, I, I believe, what you were alluding to is we talk about seasons. Yes. You know, 
this is if you're playing this as a campaign, there's season actions, there's passage of time, there's at the end of each season the director prepares their season actions. Seasons season actions represent large, long ranging plans and goals. Which is kinda cool because if you think about the long the long tail or the long pole in the tent, if you will, of, you know, a deep mole insertion into the British agency or you've got you're trying to infiltrate the the Russians or you're trying to infiltrate the Germans or whomever and you've got to work your way into it. <clears throat> you're not going to do that in one session, right? So the yeah, concept of season actions and how that plays out I think is pretty interesting. At least the, the concept of putting it together is interesting. I don't know. I, I'm assuming it should play out pretty well. But it's kind of like a more in-depth downtime is what it feels like to me. Sean, what did you think of this section? Yeah, I agree. It's it's more in be- what would be considered in some games downtime. Um, you get certain actions to occur during. And the seasons are literally spring, summer, autumn, winter. I mean, it's we're not yep. making this you know somewhere arbitrary. It's literally that. Um, it also reminded me of uh, Bookhounds of London um, version of Trailer Cthulhu by Ken Height. In the Bookhounds of London, your bookstore has different things that can happen at different points. You can make more money, you can get more exquisite product, so on and so forth. So there's like a mini section of rules around just how the bookstore itself functions within mm-hmm. the setting. And similar here, but on a larger scale, because it's about the agency and the director. It's pretty cool. I mean, the director takes a number of season actions, division improvements, crafting items, personal training, and division improvements happen. Um, brand new asset begin beginning, um, getting yeah, replacing assets, getting new ones. Archives for bonus intellect wagers, combat instructors, con ops, a lot of good stuff in there. Garages for maintaining your vehicles, garrisons, quartermaster get you some gear. So one benefits thing- of quality. You talked about that earlier. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. Keep going. Uh, so I've skipped way ahead to Go age. To age. Yeah. So you uh, there's a when you roll up your character, uh, you roll a d6 and write that number. Uh, so when how is it? You'll find a space for age. When you created your character, you were instructed to roll one d6 and write that number in the age column. It is the end of the year. Time to add to that total. So at the end of the year. Each agent rolls one d6 and adds those age points to their age. And when your agent's age reaches 60 points or higher, your character advances to the next phase of their life. Spring to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter, winter to death. So once you reach 60 or higher, erase that total. You now have zero age points. And at the end of next year, roll one d6 and write down your roll in that spot. So you're going to die. Just because of, hey, natural causes, nothing else, you'll get too old. At some point, you go from spring to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter, and then eventually you die. Well, and some of this is going to, like, so, okay, leveling, right? So some conventional games, leveling. This is starts when you go from season to season, some things you get to do different things. So um, when your character moves from spring to summer or summer to fall or fall to winter, you make certain changes to your character. You can change your name. Yep. Which is kind of cool. Aspects, covers, virtues. Interesting. Yep. I do like the idea of 
you start out, you're, you're adding numbers, right? And by the time you get to 60, you flip. And it's not actually that you're 60, it's just 60 points, which is to the old Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not the, it's not the years, it's the mileage, right? right. How, hard, how hard was this last trip for you? Nice, I like this. Pass away or retire at the end for death. You'll have to make a new character as the character is no longer playable. Pretty cool. Yeah. Then it's got chunks on, you know, wars between agencies, how things escalate, um, insults, murders, all that good stuff. You know, because obviously, you know, the KGB and the CIA and the FBI back in the Cold War and so forth, you had all that stuff plus everything else. And um, there's ways that, that the war works, you know, first calculations, moral high ground orders and all that stuff. So it's it's very concise, honestly. And I was really impressed reading through this, Sean, that it just it's so concise. I don't know a better word to say right now, but there's so much packed into these 130 pages. And that it's really, I don't, I don't see a lot of fat added onto this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be overly complicated where you, if you have your character and your agency and a narrator that kind of knows what they're doing and that you have creative people at the table, it's going to be a game that's going to essentially run itself at some point. And then once you get into a season and over time, uh, I mean, this, I could see playing this thing for a long time with wars against other agencies and you could go through the you could start at the beginning of the Cold War like post World War II and work your way all the way to modern times or all the way to the end of the Cold War the, the fall of the Berlin Wall you could go from the end of the war to the wall falls in Berlin as an arc right <laughs> or as an overarching approach to to this to this campaign and yeah you'll go through many different characters throughout but then you have that opportunity when the i read this and i thought man if sean and i are playing and my character hits that point when he's too old he doesn't have to die but he retires then he becomes an npc in sean's case file right brett's guy he's retired you know two three characters later my gal needs to need some information here's a name that person's only myth within the agency Retired five seasons ago. Oh my God! It's Brett's old character. You know that that, that that's kind of cool. you can you can do callbacks. You can do all that kind of stuff through here. I think it's it's really neat. The only thing I can think of that is weird. I had when I played Fate Accelerated one time. Whenever the invokes and compels accelerated is a little bit different, but the the invokes and compels is awkward for me because I'm not used to using those. But I don't excuse me. I don't think it would take much. Play it a couple sessions, and I think you'd be right in right as rain. I don't think it'd be that difficult to get into. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of potential, and pro- I might run it at GameholeCon because if I can get, I may have a couple copies of the book. I may create some quick quick generation rules, and then uh, port forth the mission and see what the hell happens. They do have a section there. I mentioned this before: Cold Shadows Solitaire. Their chapter twelve. It's uh, for playing Cold Shadows. By yourself, so that's interesting. I don't see a lot of those out there, um, solo RPG games like that. But that could be kind of neat. Um, and they've got stuff on spyware, fighting style, and so forth. But I think that's the bulk of it, man. That's pretty yeah. much. It's only like 130 pages, like I said. But it's a. It seems like there's a lot in there, and I keep saying that, but it really it did impress me. At first, I was kind of like, meh. Yeah, we'll see. 
But, uh, yeah, I went through it, and uh, I'm impressed. I think it'd be fun to play. So there is more to the game, obviously. We didn't go through some of the things that Brett had mentioned in in the back of the book and how things can develop over time. Uh, but most of the core stuff, kind of the obvious obvious things you're going to want to know about the role-playing game. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, check it out for the most part. So anything else to say about that, Brett? No, man, I think it's cool. If somebody has a question about a piece of it or whatever, I mean, right now I think I picked up my copy off of drive through RPG for 15 bucks. Well worth it. Uh 15 bucks not that uh not a big not a big expense in my book, so I think I think it's definitely worth it pick it up, parse through it. And uh Sean's right. I initially hit it thinking that it was a Cold War focus and it's not. I think you can do a lot more with it than just that. So it's uh it's good. I think it'll be I think it'll be fun when Sean gets it to the table and I can play. Great. Daryl. So what are we going to be talking about this week? But <laughs> Cold Shadows. So <laughs> I have a few that I gathered up for us. Rob Wheland did an article on Cold Shadows over on Geek and Sundry. If you want to know a little bit more uh, about the game, head over there. Link in the show notes. Uh, second one, Tabletop Radio Hour podcast did an actual play. Um, spoiler I will just put it out there. They did three episodes, and then the fourth one was going to wrap it up, and they had an audio problem with the fourth episode. So they literally couldn't... They The, the last recording that they had to wrap up the four-session game... Failed? Failed. Oh. They couldn't recover it, so what they did was they narrated, or they kind of went back and... Uh, explained what had happened in that episode. So more so, wrap up y than actual play. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, but still, nonetheless, I thought it was pretty good. The first three episodes, I'll give those guys a lot of kudos. I think it was pretty good. Um, and they had Alan, I believe, from the actual game, uh, running, running Cold Shadows. Very uh, cool. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Alan Barr, um, was one of the guys. Uh, third one, Gallant Night Games. That's obviously the publisher. Uh, of Cold Shadows, and we'll have a link to the official website for them. And then uh, the last one, role-playing games. This is not Cold Shadows related, but could be any game. Uh, role-playing games for people who don't like D&D. So that was an article by Nick Douglas on Lifehacker. Um, I think it was last month, May, that he might have put that out, um, 2018. So check that out. It gives you some games where uh, some of you are probably playing already. And appreciate. And some of you that may not know about some of those games on Lifehacker, you may want to check out. Yeah. Very cool, man. It's good yeah. stuff. So there you go. Brett? Yeah, Sean? The inevitable question. What are we going to talk about next time? What are we going to talk about next time? Well, I've got two different things, potentially. We've got some... Sean and I have some gaming goodness coming up this coming weekend, the first weekend in June. So depending what comes out of that, Sean, I could see us popping up a topic out of various discussions and things we have that weekend. However, if we do not, I was thinking of um, honestly grabbing a, asking you and me to come up with what is your favorite, what's your favorite critter? Like D&D monster. What is your favorite monster that you have modified, used, made your own? What have you done, right? I think I've talked about the yellow musk creeper zombies I did a while back and some of those components. But what have you done with something that's either 
old, over oh, quote unquote overused, or something like a gelatinous cube, something you've done different. How have you modified something? I think it'd be kind of cool to talk about. So we'll either talk about that or if something pops up over the weekend, because Sean and I'll be hip deep in some gaming goodness this weekend with some friends. So we'll see what happens. Well, there you have it. There we go. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you appreciated our in-depth look at Cold Shadows. Uh, this has been another episode of Gaming and BS. I'm on your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Mark, CMG, Clover, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Monroe, Laura Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Lost Sailor, Misdirect, Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froilet, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff Hoffman, Kyle Winner, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G., JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Short, Stefan Dragonspawn, Aonegas, Roll for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, Trezzy, George Sedgwick, Kevin Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, and Robert Nemeth. Eric Bontz. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.